Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, July 4th, 2021. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. Well, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this past Memorial Day weekend, Jody and I took a short road trip to northern Arizona, uh, the Prescott, Cottonwood, Sedona area. And our primary objective was, uh, well, besides just getting away, we hadn't really been on a vacation uh, much in the last year, was to go floating down the Verde River. Now, Verde Adventures has both kayaking and tubing. Uh, we opted for the least strenuous of all, just laying there and floating. Uh, here's a two-minute video that I put together to give you a sense of what three hours floating on the river was like. Let's watch. So if you saw those little uh, plastic ping pong paddles, uh, those were in case we got into a spot where there wasn't much of a uh, flow, we could like paddle ourselves back into the, the current and uh, keep moving along. Uh, we came prepared. Uh, we actually had a, a Ziploc bag to, uh, to put our you know, car keys and wallets and phones in and that sort of a thing, keep them safe and dry. But I was surprised that when we got to check in, they had a leave your car keys here sign. Uh, and they said, you would be surprised at how many people lose their car keys in the river. I'm like, I got a backpack, I got a Ziploc bag, I'm good. They're like, we suggest you leave it here. Uh, because once you drop them in the river, uh, even though it's only four feet deep, 
uh, you're never going to find it. It is just so murky there. And I want you to remember that for a little bit later in the sermon. Welcome to the fourth and final week of our current series entitled The Rocks Cry Out. And over the past month, we've been looking to nature, to God's creation, to see what it is we can learn if we're willing to pay close enough attention. We discovered that all of creation sings praises to God, that the wildflowers and the birds trust God to provide, and they don't waste unnecessary energy worrying like so many of us do, and that the ant is an incredible teacher working hard and inspiring us to live in peaceful relationships with our neighbors. Well, today we wrap things up by looking into the deep. Water is so important to humanity, especially for those of us that live here in desert areas. It's often used as a symbol of life, of growth, and survival. And so today we're going to find that it's also an image for God's amazing mercy and grace. The book of Micah is part of the section of the Old Testament called the Twelve Minor Prophets. James Nagalski in his Smith and Helwey's commentary on Micah notes that the book documents the sins of Judah from the 8th century BCE. Not only that, but the, in the book, the prophet also confronts the people because of their sin and then records God's response to them. It's a painful reminder of uh, the Hebrew people's past, yes, but it also speaks of God's faithfulness, love, and mercy. So that's a quick sort of uh, big picture overview of the book of Micah. I love how James Mays in his Old Testament library commentary summarizes the book of Micah. He says this, Yahweh, God, speaks and is described as God of Israel and of the nations, judge and savior, majestic uh, on wrath and astonishing in compassion, worker of justice and promiser of forgiveness. He scatters his people. He collects them as his flock. He destroys Zion and then resurrects her. He threatens the nations with humiliation, but also offers them peace. John Corson, in his application commentary, notes that the prophet Micah was the only prophet that was sent to both the north and the southern kingdoms in ancient Israel. He witnessed a civil war and the Assyrian superpowers coming in to decimate the northern tribes. The name Micah literally means who is like Yahweh, Micah Yahu a name which is both an exclamation of praise and an expression of adoration and wonder in the God of Israel. So, our reading today comes from chapter 7, the final chapter of the book of Micah. And by the time we get to chapter 6 and 7, Micah is writing about the anticipated destruction of Jerusalem, the capital of the southern city, uh, southern capital kingdom in, in, uh, known as Judah. And what's interesting is that many biblical scholars believe that the book itself was actually written after the destruction, after the Babylonian captivity. Um, so it gives the readers a larger perspective on what it was their ancestors had to endure and as they were getting ready for what was to be a life-changing event for them. If you want to follow along, we're in the book of Micah chapter 7, uh, verse 18. If you have the church app, you scroll down to the bottom, it says Bible reading, and it'll open it up to Micah 7, and you just got to move to verse 18. Micah 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of your possession? 
He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in showing clemency. So for starters, the opening words in verse 18, it's a pun on the prophet's name, right? Which means, who is like Yahweh? Remember that the book surrounds one of the most difficult and painful chapters of Israel and Judah's history, being taken into exile, away from their homeland. For 70 years, the best and the brightest uh, of God's people were forced to live in captivity in a foreign land. Why? Because of their sinful past. And so God allowed the superpowers to come in and to take them away. Yet in the midst of all of this upheaval, Micah reminds the people that God pardons iniquity and passes over the transgressions of the remnant, the remnant being those who are returning back from exile. God delights in showing clemency or mercy and grace. Now, I want to put a bookmark here in Micah 7. We're going to come back to it and shoot over to another text from the Old Testament, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is an incredible psalm that deserves an entire sermon devoted to it alone. But today, I just want to focus on the first two verses of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The entire psalm is an appeal for God's mercy. And, and in Hebrew, the word for God's mercy is chesed. James Mays comments that Psalm 51 is the fullest expression of the simple biblical confession that I have sinned. And what's amazing and interesting about this psalm is that the author doesn't make any excuses, doesn't try to put the blame on anyone else. Okay, well, yeah, I did that, but this is why, or, or it's their fault too. No, none of that. We don't get any details of what the person's sin actually was either. Now, on a side note, in what they call the, the, the subscript, uh, the title under Psalm 51 in many of your Bibles, it will, it will say that it's connected to David after his affair with Bathsheba which is a wonderful, powerful way to make a connection to the context to help you when you read it yourself. But most biblical scholars believe that it came much later than the time of David. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. The author is... Uh, aware of just how serious his or her sin actually is and, and desires this washing, this cleansing, which would ultimately lead to reconciliation with God. The deep truth below uh, the surface of these two first verses is a heartfelt belief that actually God does have the power and, and, and the mercy to forgive our sins, that, that forgiveness is possible no matter what it is that we have committed. Micah says, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of your possession? He does not uh, retain his anger forever because he delights in showing clemency. We serve a God who loves us enough to forgive us of our sin, who passes over our transgressions, that God lifts up guidelines for our lives, right? God has given us the Bible that's filled with amazing wisdom on how we should relate to one another and to God. But being human, we don't always get it right. 
Right? In fact, we often get it wrong. And yet, through it all, God's chesed, God's mercy, God's grace endures forever. Former United Methodist Bishop Will Williman has a wonderful modern parable in his book, Stories by Williman. He says this. There was a distinguished leader of business. He had built his company from the ground up out of nothing into, into something that was, well, something. He was the chair of his church's board, as well as the chair of the Chamber of Commerce, oh, and the Rotary as well. The church's fellowship hall was named in his honor because of his generous gift. Because he had worked so hard to build up his company, and because his leadership set the moral tone for the corporation, when he heard that a person in his employ from the accounting division had been pilfering funds, well, he said, fire her, turn it over to the cops, that will teach her a lesson. Sometime later, a teenager broke into this man's garage and got into his prized Mercedes coupe. Uh, went on a joyride, and bashed the car into a fire hydrant. As an example to all other wayward youth of the community, the man said, he's 19, he ought to know better, put him in the slammer, it'll teach him a lesson. When his son uh, crashed out of his second drug treatment program since flunking out of college, an expensive program in New England, he said, that's it, I've had it with the boy, disinherit him, it will teach him a lesson. In due time, the man died, and he was about to appear before his maker. Suddenly, he started thinking back to his own life and the way he had lived and all the times that he had come down hard on others, the deaf ear he had turned to their pleas of mercy, and he trembled as he stood before the judge of all. And from that great throne from heaven... God Almighty looked upon him and thundered, Forgive him! That'll teach him a lesson. Micah reminds us, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of your possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in showing clemency. Now remember, this was, this was written for the exiles returning to Israel, right? The very fact that they were still alive was a testimony to God pardoning iniquity. God's anger did not last forever, but grace and mercy ultimately won out. Forgive them, God said. That'll teach them a lesson. By the way, that last word, clemency, uh, that's our Hebrew word of the day, chesed, ultimately meaning steadfast love. It's a love that keeps on loving no matter what. So Micah uh, 7.18 speaks about who God is. Uh, not, Micah 19 and 20 speaks about who God will be in the future. He will again have compassion upon us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and unswerving loyalty to Abraham as you have sworn to our ancestors from days of old. The root meaning for the Hebrew word translated here as compassion literally means softness or gentleness. And uh, I love this, uh, John and Cordy, the noun that comes from that same word means womb, right? 
James Main says this understanding of compassion is this tender care lavished by a, a stronger person on the need of one who is related to him in some other way. This compassionate womb that God has for us is such a perfect connection, don't you think? Now, there's two interesting images in this final verse, these verses as well. The first is uh, that uh, God will tread our iniquities underfoot. Now, this is wartime language. Treading underfoot was an expression used to describe in uh, defeating one's enemy, which I guess, if you think about it, is a perfect uh, connection when it comes to our sin, right? Sin is the ultimate enemy. It separates from God, from one another, even from ourselves, from who God created us to be in our best sense. And in addition to treading our iniquities underfoot, the prophet Micah tells us that God will also cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Now, this was the phrase that captured my heart when I was searching for passages to use in this sermon series, and it's why I started out by sharing in this message our floating trip down the Verde River, right? I mean, if, if car keys can get lost in four feet of water, what might the depths of the oceans do for our sins? The Mariana Trench is the deepest spot on earth, the very bottom of the ocean floor. It's located in the Western Pacific Ocean off the coast of Indonesia. It's a C-shaped trench that is on the border of two tectonics, two plates. Now, the deepest part of the Mariana Trench is called Challenger Deep, and it has a depth of over 36,000 feet, which is 6.8 miles deep. To put that in perspective, Mount Everest is a little over 29,000 feet tall. So if we placed the bottom of Mount Everest at the bottom of the Mariana Trench, there would still be another 1.2 miles of water between the top of Mount Everest and the top of the ocean. It's that deep. Scientists have discovered that light becomes non-existent at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. The prophet Micah tells us that not only does God forgive our sins completely, but he tosses them into the one place in the world that they become literally invisible, never to be seen. James Lindbergh, in his interpretation commentary on Micah, says this, In few places does the Old Testament reach out to the gospel message of the New Testament as dramatically as it does here in Micah chapter 7. What a blessing. Anthony DeMello was an author and Jesuit priest from India. He also is a wonderful storyteller and story collector. In his book, Taking Flight, he tells this fabulous tale. An old woman in the village was said to be receiving divine apparitions. Now, the local priest was a little bit upset. He was the God person. So he demanded proof of her authenticity, that God really was coming to speak to her. When God appears to you next, he said to the woman, ask him to tell you what my sins are, which are known to him alone. That should be evidence enough. If you can bring those back to me, then I'll believe God's speaking to you. The woman appeared a month later, and the priest asked if God had in fact appeared to her again, and she said he had. Well, did you ask him my question? Yes, I did, she said. <laughs> right, and... What did God say? The priest asked. 
She paused for a moment. She looked him right in the eye and said, God told me to say, tell your priest I've already forgotten his sins. I love that for a number of reasons, right? First, because when when we ask God for forgiveness, when we take our sins to him in penitence and contrition, when we pour our hearts out before the Holy One, even though we know, right, in our minds that we can be forgiven by God, we are often unwilling to forgive ourselves. And we hold on to those sins like a badge of honor, but the truth is, as Micah chapter 7 tells us, God has already cast our sins into the deep, into the bottom of the Mariana Trench, never to be seen again. And the second reason I love this story is because it reinforces the truth that God can and does speak to and through anyone, right? We priests, Pastor John and I, we don't have the market cornered on hearing from the divine, not by a long shot. So keep your ears and your heart and your spirit open because God will be speaking to you too. Micah 7.20, you will show faithfulness to Jacob and unswerving loyalty to Abraham as you have sworn to our ancestors from the days of old. Now, the picture here is, uh, be- lies behind the word faithfulness. It really means rock-solid reliability. James Lindbergh notes that the word is from the same Hebrew root for the, the solid pillars, the, the doorposts that held the doors to the temple in Jerusalem, the, the Big pieces of oak or whatever it was that held the temple doors up. That's God's reliability, God's faithfulness. The unswerving loyalty that Micah speaks about, well, that's our Hebrew word of the day again, chesed, right? We've seen it translated mercy, clemency, steadfast love, and now we have unswerving loyalty uh, to the chesed thesaurus. James Mays says, Chesed is the gracious conduct which makes the most and best of a relationship, the deed which brings a relationship to its fulfillment, even when the partner is weak or fallible. And so we have a much deeper understanding uh, and insight into the final verse of this final chapter from the book of Micah, right? That you will show faithfulness to Jacob, an unswerving loyalty to Abraham as you have sworn to our ancestors of old. Even even when we fall short, even when sin gets in the way of our fulfilling our end of the covenant, chesed means that God will still be faithful despite our lack of it. God's mercy, God's love, God's clemency, God's unswerving loyalty will prevail. John Corson makes this wonderful insight about how truly profound this single verse is. And he he rightly points this out as referring to God, of course, that, that it does us well to remember that this is God and God alone who fulfills this role in our lives. Corson writes, the more I understand this, the less pressure, the less I pressure you to be something you're not. The less I demand that my wife, my kids, my friends, my church, my family, my boss, or my country can be that which they can never be. There is only one who is good, who passes over iniquity, who delights in mercy, who casts our sins into the depths of the sea. Isn't that good, friends, that we we have to have a bit more grace for one another because the truth is we are not God. We say every week here that 
At Palmdale United Methodist Church, we are inspired by Jesus to love, and we see through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus what it means to give ourselves away for others, to love and forgive, to have grace and mercy for others, and, and, and for those that we already like, like our family and our friends, and to those who, shall we say, are a bit more difficult to love. But remember that we are not God. We are not perfect. And hard as we try to live up to this, to being inspired by Jesus to love, we sometimes, or shall I say often, fall short in the chesed department. But not God, right? God is faithful and true. God's loving kindness and mercy can be counted on over and over and over again. He is the one who casts our sins into the depths of the sea, into the deepest part of the Mariana Trench, into the deep, and that is the rock-solid truth that will not disappoint. And so, my friends, I'm, I'm giving you an opportunity. Think of it as a homework assignment. Every time this week that you see water, like every time you're driving south on the 14 and you pass Lake Palmdale, every time you wash your hands for 20 seconds, please continue to do that, or wash dishes in the sink, or water your yard, or swim in a pool, or step into the shower, or go floating down the Verde River, may the sight of water remind you of the spiritual truth that God is the one who casts our sins into the depths of the sea. That God is the one whose loving kindness and mercy, whose chesed can always be counted on. Tell your priest I've forgotten his sins. What a blessing. What a gift. What a God that we serve. I am so grateful for the many lessons that this amazing creation that God made for us, has to teach us. From the rocks to the wildflowers to the ants to the water around us, may we have ears that will hear, hearts that will be open, and a spirit that will be in tune with who God's called and created us to be. And all God's people here and online said, Amen.